This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. When we asked today's guest, how can we get okay with making the decision to change? She challenged us with a question. Why is it not okay to make a change? Welcome to the mind of Wendy Chan. Discomfort guaranteed, growth optional. As the co-founder and CEO of PackMojo, a B2B startup helping businesses get affordable custom packaging, Wendy has been on both sides of the capitalism crossfire. In this no-holds-bad interview, Wendy reflects on the constant of change, lessons from a startup, and the steps it takes to launch something of value. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, now let's hand it over to Wendy. Wendy, welcome to The Peers to Peers Podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So, you know, you and I recently connected via LinkedIn. And when I looked into you on all of the amazing work that you're doing in tech and in business, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So, I really appreciate you taking the time. (laughs) You're very kind. Well, let's get into it, you know, see if it's all really busy business tech. Let's see. Love it. Love it. I'm very excited. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I was born and raised in the US. I moved to Hong Kong when I was 13. So I went to high school here, stayed here for university. Right after university I or right before university, I thought I wanted to be a consultant because I thought that I could give good advice. Uh, didn't really turn out that way. Uh, I ended up joining a startup um, right when I graduated. And that was where I kind of started in the startup direction. Learned a lot from from the previous company I worked for, great people. Um, and then I started PacMojo with my business partner and longtime friend, Vincent. We started the company around two and a half years ago. And from that point onwards, I've just been, you know, full-time on PacMojo, creating a business with him, creating a brand that is globally recognizable, hopefully, um, in packaging. So I guess my background is really in marketing, in content, in SEO. 
CEO and joining the previous company that I worked for, I literally started in marketing, jumped around, you know, to do product management, tried a little bit of everything, but I really found myself um, really understanding how to grow a business. And from that point onwards, when we started PacMojo, I was like, all right, we can definitely do this. So that's kind of the gist of it. Oh, I love it. And obviously I've looked into the business. I've looked into like what you've done beforehand as well. And it's also interesting. And I guess I can't wait to dive deeper into the company and, and how you started it. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, you know, what was growing up in the US like and then moving at such a young age, you know, to Hong Kong, you know, what was that like for you and how did that impact the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, growing up in the US was great. I guess when you grow up in a certain country that's 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 home to you, you don't really question it. So I remember when my dad told us that, all right, we're moving to Hong Kong. You guys are going to go to school there. First of all, I was thinking, why am I leaving my friends? This is the environment that I've grown up in. You know, I was 12 at the time before, and that's when he told us we're going to be moving. So yeah, I mean, just the the transition was a little bit tough. Coming from the U.S., you've got big houses in the suburbs, moving to Hong Kong, where it's a vertical city, skyscrapers, apartment buildings. And I remember the first time I got into the, I stepped into our apartment, I asked my dad, is this it? So I was so, (laughs) I was so used to having, you know, the space. Um, and I, I guess the culture of the U.S. Now the transition was a bit easier because I was in, immediately enrolled in international school in Hong Kong. Unfortunately, my Cantonese isn't as great. It wasn't good enough to be enrolled in local school. So I had to go down the international school path and, you know, speaking with and meeting different teachers and students that all speak English made it a lot easier. And then moving to Hong Kong, initially, I thought that it was just going to be a two-year stint. I was going to go back to the, to the U.S. I was going to go to university there. But I ended up, you know, really liking living in Hong Kong and the experiences that it has brought me. I think it was probably one of the best moves our family decided was actually to leave the U.S. and to venture into Asia. The reason I say this is because I think it's given me a much more worldly view. Um, in the U.S., you're kind of in the same circle. You've got people from different backgrounds for sure, but you're very American in that sense. And being in Hong Kong, yeah, you've got that mixture of, di- of culture and it's very diverse, but you also can actually empathize a lot more because somebody comes from Korea or Japan or India. Everyone brings that, you know, that background um, into Hong Kong. But in the US, you, your relatives may be from India, Japan or Korea, but you're very much Americanized. So I think coming to Hong Kong, best decision ever, giving me that worldly view. But also be, I would say I'm more empathetic and, you know, accepting. And yeah, I think it's the best decision I think our family could have made. And I've chosen to stay here. It's been 15 years now. You know, yeah, it's been a long time, you know, going to high school here, it's kind of that point in which you're growing up and you're learning a lot going to university here. You know, I thought I was, I was going to go to the U S for university. My dad said, Hong Kong's not a bad choice. So we ended up staying. And fortunately for me, I, you know, finished university in three years, normally in the U S it's a four year, four year program. I think, you know, Hong Kong followed the British system as well. So three years, I saved myself a year, get started early. And so everything, everything made sense. Mm. I love that. You know, I think so many of us that have made a move or that have had to, you know, either when we were younger or even just that slightly bit older after high school, often at times it's not as smooth and it's, you know, we're kind of a bit 
very confused by things. Things aren't, you know, as they were back home and we kind of have to be here. But it's just so refreshing to, yeah, to hear that for you, it was actually such a positive thing. Was there ever kind of a time during, during the early days when you'd made the move and you were just trying to find your feet that you kind of questioned who you are or yourself or, or perhaps what you wanted for yourself? Was there ever that kind of shock to the system or was for you, it was just, kind of awkward. Yeah, things were okay. All I knew when I was 12 or 13 was that I loved playing basketball. So as long as I was able to come to Hong Kong, play for the girls basketball team, that was fine. So that's what I did. And, you know, making friends, of course, it's tougher, you know, moving countries, especially and also moving to a new school and and learning the customs here. But otherwise, I don't think I had any like, um, you know, moments of shock where I was like, what am I trying to do right now? You know, you're 13. You're just trying to have fun, you know, play, play with your friends. Um, there's, I haven't, I, I don't think I even started thinking of my career other than I wanted to become a professional basketball player at the time. Yeah, that was, uh, that was something. So you never know. I mean, I've hung out, I've hung my towel up, but you never know. <laughs> I mean, you, you really don't. You really don't. Especially those of us who are entrepreneurial like yourself. It's, you just never know what's going to come next. So I guess and I, I'd love to dive into, you know, a, a time or a moment where that shock happened for you. So you know, f- for you, it seemed to be that, you know, you moved, you made the move, you were all good, you were doing your basketball, you were sweet. And then, you know, was it during university when, you know, I saw, you, I saw that you went to the Uni of Hong Kong, as you mentioned, did Bachelor of Economics and Finance. You know, what was a time there or was it straight after? Was there a moment where you felt a shock to the system? And then I guess, how did you tackle that at the time? Mm-hmm. Um. So all my life, I think coming from an Asian family, you know, it's your parents would encourage you to, to go down certain career paths. And I think at the time in high school, my dad was just get into finance, get into finance. So I was like, okay, I got into to the University of Hong Kong, studied economics and finance. Um, but I guess I realized, you know, once I started studying it, that this wasn't something that I was completely interested in. You know, I kind of did it for my dad. And um, I think that maybe a lot of us have done that. But, you know, how do you expect, it's hard for me at least, you know, from going from elementary to middle school to high school to then figure out at that point, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. So I guess that shock, that moment of shock came, you know, maybe the first year of university. I realized that, yeah, I'm studying this. I'm just going to finish my degree. And I think the reason why I wanted to do consulting was that because, you know, first of all, I'm not the best with numbers. Getting into finance, you kind of have to have that ability in a sense. I wasn't as analytical as I think anybody in finance is, but I was able to kind of look at things from the big picture. So that's why consulting was something that I was interested in. Um, I felt that I can look at things overall and provide decent enough advice. So I try to try to venture down that path. And that was when, so I was applying for internships during my second year of university, as many people do, because, you know, you want to get that experience so that you can get hired later on. That's the truth. <laughs> so I applied to a bunch of consulting companies, and one of which was a very small one based in Hong Kong. The CEO reached out to me and said, you know, for, for internships, we're not necessarily looking to hire people with no experience. We're looking for seasoned consultants. But we are thinking of doing a venture on the side. Was wondering if you would be interested. So that was my first, you know, foray into the startup space. At the time when the previous CEO of that company hired me or took me on as an intern, the business was not even there. It was a concept they had their heads. And I was just grateful enough to be able to work 
period. So I kind of just went into that by chance. And they started the company in 2012. So I did my internship back in, I believe it was 20. Yeah, it was actually in 2011 or 2012 of the summer. You know, I learned a lot about marketing. That's why I really got started. Um, and then when I went back to school, finished my degree. And afterwards, he said, would you like to join us full time? And I was like, yeah, why not? I've already got the experience a little bit. I learned a little bit about a startup. Did Most of the stuff was in marketing. And then I joined them straight away. And yeah, so I guess, you know, going into university, thinking it's all about finance. It was also very competitive here in Hong Kong, mind you. Lots of smart people here. And, you know, Hong Kong is known as the finance city. So everyone wants to you know, go to university, get into finance. It's a great job. So, But I realized it wasn't for me. I think there's a lot of people that it's very well suited for. But for myself, maybe I'm more creative, maybe more strategic, not as technical. So getting into a startup was probably the, the best thing I could have done. Mm-hmm. It's just so awesome to see how things pan out. You know, I think, you know, we have this intention and we go in with one thought and then we come out, you know, doing something completely different. But I think I, I just want to touch on a, a little bit more and get, and get your advice on, on you know, when you said that, you know, you kind of really just did your finest degree for your parent or for your dad, you know, I think so many of our amazing peers listening can relate to that. And definitely I can relate to that. I literally did a finance degree as well and I kind <laughs> of did it for my parents. So, you know, when perhaps, you know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who, who maybe are doing that degree, not really because they want to, just to get the piece of paper or, or just to please their parents? You know, what advice would you give on, on I guess, either being okay with that or, or navigating through that time of confusion? And then I guess even, even after that, how do we get okay with choosing a path that maybe isn't like, you know, directly what we like, related to what we studied? Yeah, um, I think it's, you know, I know a lot of friends that are in completely different careers to what they've studied. If, in fact, there's probably only a handful that I know that are in that same career. So I think university is a good time to kind of explore and understand yourself a little bit more. It was then when, you know, you're, when you're in university, you know, back in high school, everything is set out. You have these classes right? That's fixed. You're not really choosing any classes. You have to take all the mandatory classes. You participate in extracurriculars. You do your best to try to get into a good university. That that path has been carved for you. Once you get into university, you're kind of on your own. And that's something I didn't realize until you get in, in that if you wanted something and whatever your interests are, nobody's going to tell you, okay, Wendy, now go study this. Okay, Wendy, now go do this. It's really up to me to go try to figure out what it is I, I like, what it is I am good at. So I think, you know, yes, you might be in a position where you're studying for the sake of someone else, but I think it's also a good learning. And there's that's why I think a lot of people switch majors as well. During university, they understand that maybe this isn't something for them. And I think, you know, if they've given it a good shot, but they realize that there's you know, they're not interested or they don't have the right skills for that. It's definitely easy to transition from that. And I think the the key thing is to not let your university degree define what you do in the future. You know, just because you spent three or four years studying this, you know, there are certain soft skills that you may have learned dealing with people, understanding how to negotiate sales, certain, you know, small technical skills that I believe are very much transferable no matter what industry you're in. So, 
my advice would be, you know, you might be studying something, but go out there, do an internship. It might be free, but that's okay. At, along the process, you'll learn about what you like doing, what you don't like doing, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And that will help you define what it is you want to do later on. But then again, things will change as well. You know, you could be three years into a career and then you realize it's not for you. I think the key thing for that is realizing that a career does not have to be start to finish as in there's no one path. Everyone takes a different path throughout their life. And it's, you know, maybe our, our parents drilled into us the, the textbooks, you know, go to school, get a good job, marry someone, have kids, retire. And that's so textbook. But no one says that you can't, you, there's no reason why you can't have four or five different careers. You've tried it out, right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. So I think definitely try, try things out, see what works for you and see what you enjoy, what you're good at. And that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. How can we get okay with making the decision to change or make a big change? How can we get okay with that? I guess the question to ask yourself is why is it not okay to make a change? You know, I think if we are, if we're growing and we want to be trying different things and learning, there's nothing, no one's saying, why are you changing? Because life is like that. Life is full of change and you have to adapt. So I think it's just maybe the initial first step may be a little bit more uh, scary to take, maybe seem overwhelming, but I think we all have to start somewhere and put ourselves out there. So, yeah, maybe the question is, ask yourself, why can't I change? Why can't I try this? I love it. So, I want to dive into your time at the startup. You were there for about five years. You know, as you said, you kind of were there by accident initially. And, yeah. you know, you built your way all the way up to COO of that of that startup. And I'm guessing a full-blown company by the end of the five years. You know, talk to us a little bit about perhaps maybe like the top three things you learned about yourself during that time and that you learned about, you know, starting a business or, 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 you know, um, joining at such, yeah, really starting a company and and what's really required. Yeah. So that company that I joined was founded by two of my, I would call them my mentors, um, Paul and Nick, and they've had, you know, years of experience in corporate and they started a company, which is called Passkit. And I joined as this, you know, young, fresh university graduate, not really knowing what to do other than I was all right, kind of decent at doing some marketing. And I think, the biggest thing I learned from joining that startup, so it wasn't my company, but it, was, it felt very much like I was a big part of, or at least a big contributing factor to the company, was that you're going to be thrown in the deep end. And, you know, back when you're younger, you'll have your, your parents protecting you, your friends got your back. But once you are in a company, you kind of have to learn how to navigate on your own. Not saying you won't have mentors there to support you, but it's also knowing that you can problem solve yourself. You don't necessarily need to rely on everyone in the company. Um, I remember there was an incident um, probably with a different colleague who just kept asking, so how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And I think somebody said, well, have you consulted Dr. Google? You know, I think the first step is to think about how would you try to solve the problem first and then find others to help you with that. So for me, I was literally thrown the deep end. There's a lot of stuff I did not know, but I knew that if I didn't try to find the answers myself first, then there's not really any independent thinking or growth on my part. I think it's definitely fine if you really tried your best and you didn't find the answers you're looking for. And then you consulted someone saying, 
I tried to look for this. This is what I found, but I'm still not really understanding it. Can I get your input on it? Then it also, you know, shows that you've tried instead of just relying on someone else completely. So I would say, yeah, jump in and, and definitely try and show effort that you show, put in effort to actually show that you are trying um, yourself first. And there was a second part to your question. Was there? I'm sorry. I forgot already. Oh no, I'm I'm just so into it. Sorry, I'm I'm loving this response. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I'm not too sure what the second part. I, I think I think we'll just leave it at that. I think that was just so well said and I, I actually couldn't agree more. I think, you know, initiative and taking that initiative and not, I guess not being afraid to actually try it yourself. You know, I guess even just on that and I wanna, you know, dive into your your company and the crux of that, but how can we perhaps gain the confidence to just try it first ourselves because sometimes I think we just don't want to be wrong yeah yeah I think a lot of people and myself included have fallen into the it's got to be perfect we can't be wrong because being wrong is is criticism in a sense and you don't want people seeing you in that way um but and I think it's easier said you know the advice I would say is don't take it so personally I think we all have to learn the best way to learn is to well one of the ways to learn sorry is to fail and hopefully you learn from that failure I feel like I learned a lot quicker when I have failed but also the smarter way I would say to learn is to look at other people's failures and see what went wrong and and try to make sure that you don't make that mistake stake. And I think it does take time to build that confidence in want, in being open to the idea of failing. Um, and I think that's just, it, it could be personality, it could just be time and experience. Maybe it's thinking, you know, if you fail, is it really the end of the world? Can you, you know, it's sometimes the, the gravity of the failure, it if you look, take a step back, it's not that bad. You know, you're still going to be able to get up the next day. You can still send that email to that client. You can still carry on. So as long as we don't take everything to, you know, magnifying the problem, then I think it should be okay. Just so true. So I want to dive now into Pack Mojo. You know, you mentioned that, you know, you started about two foot, uh, two and a half years ago now. I think it was in May of 2018. And, you know, I guess I'd just love to know, and I guess we'd love to know, you know, where did the idea for Pack Mojo come about? And what were the first few steps that you took to really get it off the ground? Yeah. So it all started in 2018, probably around March or April. One of my longtime friends, Vincent, who is also the co-founder of PacMojo, he comes from a packaging background. So his family has a family business that has been in packaging for, for decades. They've got a factory in China. And he came to me one day with the idea of how do we make packaging more accessible to the modern day business because packaging and factories, it's very much a tr- traditional business model, traditional processes. And we felt that, or at least Vincent came to me with the idea saying there must be something that we can do to make, to kind of merge the two worlds of traditional versus the modern day, you know, millennial e-commerce company. And we know that packaging is here to stay. You know, we've seen that the rise of e-commerce means that if you're going to be shipping goods from one place to another, you need some kind of vehicle or medium in which to ship it. So packaging is a, is a very natural, natural thing. So Vincent came to me and at this point I had just left my previous job at the startup. So I was there with them for four and a half years. The reason I left was because I wanted to take a breather. You know, it was an intense four and a half years. I learned so, so much. 
And I didn't actually have any intention on do, going, joining another startup or, you know, effectively doing our own. But as life, life is very unpredictable. I ended up taking a breather to start a company with Vincent, which is very, very, you know, this is a lot of work that goes into having your own business. But I believe that given Vincent's skill sets, his background in packaging and my skill sets in working in a startup before in marketing, in, in sales and understanding product development, that it was kind of the, it was a very good mix. We complement each other in that way where he brings that industry expertise and I bring the more, I guess you could say the technical side of things. Um, and I just felt like there was this huge opportunity for us. And, you know, it helps that we've been friends for 10 years and we're very open and honest with each other about things. So I think having him as a business partner made it easier to say, all right, let's go do this because I knew how, how he worked, how he thought. And, and that was pretty much how, how it all started. And I remember us, we were on vacation with, with a couple of friends in April, both Vincent and I were sitting on the beach overlooking the water and just talking about the idea of PacMojo. And we said, why don't we do it? So we came back to Hong Kong, got all the paperwork going to, to get, you know, the company set up. Coming up with the name Pack Mojo was probably the, the most difficult thing because there's, you know, there's co- obviously companies in the same space as us. And, you know, a lot of them have cool names already. So we kind of had to think, all right, how do we stand out from, from the crowd? So we're in packaging, which is it's this one space. So pack, great, that makes sense. And we're trying to figure out what words to add to pack that would, that would be good. And also we were limited by, and for us, we were limited by the domain and whether it was still available. So that kind of played, it played into how we named the company as well. So after many, many, we probably have a list somewhere, but we finally found Pack Mojo and we thought this is a perfect name. It wasn't taken on the, no one's bought that domain yet. Um, but more importantly, it's kind of like we are giving the mojo back to the people so that they can create the packaging that they want and deserve. So for us, it was the perfect blend. And, and yeah, and from then on, it was me and Vincent starting out 2018, majority of that 2018 period, I would say was us trying to figure out how do we productize this? How do we, how do we make it basically, how do we create a platform? Who are our customers? What is our pricing strategy? How do we work with suppliers in China? Um, and we, we're, we're partnering with Vincent's family's factory, at least to start with, so that we can understand how it is they work and how we can integrate with them. And then how do we then provide that service to small businesses that don't necessarily speak packaging or don't necessarily know how to get started? So we're kind of bridging that gap between the traditional and, and the modern. Oh, it's just so cool. And I think I love how you kind of deep dived a little bit into the process of the, of the naming and, and the first few things. I think so many of us who have got either this idea for a side hustle or we've got perhaps a business already kind of started that we're kind of brewing on the side that we're still trying to really get off the ground. I think it's just so insightful. And I think often at times we can be a bit misguided as to, as to what actually happens at the start of a business. I think it looks so sexy online and, you know, everyone's got their Instagram pages, but <laughs> reality of it is, it's, it's actually just a lot more normal. And I guess a lot more, you know, uh, is just a process. So I guess I'd love, I'd love to know a little bit about the early challenges you faced. So, you know, in those first, maybe that first year, you know, or even perhaps all of last year, you know, what were the early challenges and, and how did you navigate them? 
Yeah, yeah. I'd say there were many, many challenges because it was both of our first time starting our own business. I, I did work for a startup before, so I think I had a little bit of experience just to make sure that we're covering all departments, so to speak. We've got marketing sorted. What's our sales process? Technology. Do we need to find a developer? The legal part of things was probably the one area in which we weren't too sure of. So questions like, where should we incorporate the company? For us being in Hong Kong, it was easy. Um, and company, starting a company in Hong Kong is very, very simple. But some, some companies that I know of, it's like, okay, incorporation is a big thing because they want to make sure they're in the right, right region. Um, you know, there's definitely tax perks here and there, you know. So I think the legality, legality of it was something that we had to research on our own. Um, but maybe the biggest challenge, I would say, because we wanted to create a technology company, is that we didn't have a developer. So I don't have the technical skills to be able to create these beautiful web apps. Vincent did, does not either. So we were kind of both the, you could say, the front end of the business, but we were missing that one back end to actually build the technology and to realize the vision. So figuring that out was a little bit challenging. Fortunately, I had a friend who has a business that does development and software engineering. So we approached him and he was able to help us out over there. So I think spending that time figuring out what it is we want the technology to be. And then after that, it's finding customers. You know, you want to be able to get to market quickly, find the customers that, you know, really believe in the service that you're providing them and see value from it. Um, and this is, you know, coming from my experience in working in a startup and marketing is that if you want to build a brand that customers can find, let's say online, you basically have to start six months previous prior to that if you're i mean my i guess you could say my specialty is in search engine optimization content marketing and i know that you know and you know if you want someone to find your business for whatever keyword they're looking for you know custom packaging for my candle brand then you have to think about the content that goes behind it and you have to basically start writing that today so that eventually it'll get picked up by the search engines customers are finding that content um so i would say we did a good job in making sure we had a solid website and content that's valuable um literally from the first month or so and as from that point onwards, we continue to pump content out there that's, of course, relevant and, and of quality. And I think that's really helped us, you know, grow this brand. At least we're, we're pretty, rec I would say, wouldn't say we're the most recognizable company, but we're definitely seeing a lot more traction from across the world. And I think it's definitely in, in part due to our the combination of our technology being out there, but also more importantly, the marketing and the positioning of our brand online. I love that. And it is just so important. I actually couldn't agree more. That content marketing side, that's why we love podcasts so much. No. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the dark side of business. So, you know, I think so many, um, you know, there's a lot of misconception around business just being about the technical skills or you just got to know what's up and where you're going, blah, blah, blah. But not many people talk about the emotional journey that you kind of have to go through as a business owner. So I'd love to, I guess, speak to firstly, what, you know, what does the dark side of business mean to you? And, and was there a time or could you give us a specific example as to, you know, a, a time where you really felt like it was just so hard and not going away? <laughs> That's, um, that probably happens more often than people think. 
Yeah. And <laughs> so I think there's a misconception that, you know, you want to start your own business, you'll get the freedom to do work your own hours, do what you want. But I've come to realize that that's not really true. Yes, you may have the freedom to to dictate what you're going to be doing that day and every decision that you make is on you, but you're actually beholden to the business. You're no longer, you know, a nine to five or nine to six salaried person. Whenever there's a demand from a client late at night, they're in different time zone. There's nobody else that's going to be picking that up other than you. So it does, yes, in a sense, there is a certain amount of freedom, but you're also less free because you're the one who's responsible for everything and anything in the business. Fortunately, I haven't gotten to that point where I'm like, I want to throw in the towel. Fortunately, there have been moments, I would say, where, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, in that spot where you you try so hard on the marketing side and the sales side, but the orders just aren't coming in. And, you know, you you launch a product and you think it's great, but your users are not really converting from it. Or, you know, there might be some different perspectives within the company and you'd have to try to figure it out and solve it like adults instead of getting angry or emotional. So, yeah, I think there's definitely been times where you're like, oh, this is a lot. I want to just go to sleep. I want to wake up the next day and just be fine with it. So, yeah, there's definitely the dark side. I think, especially if you want to link it to everything else going on in life, there might be, you know, work becomes all encompassing, especially if you have your own business. It's not just you're, you're not just looking out for yourself but you're looking out for your business partner. You're looking out for the employees that you have, especially you're looking out for the clients that you're speaking with. So there's definitely a lot going on. And I think just making sure that you're doing it for the right reasons, you're, you're still motivated. And if there is any doubts or if there are any doubts or any troubles, I think this is where having a business partner really, really helps so that you're not alone and you're not in it alone. It can be a lonely journey if you're doing it yourself, I would say, because the all the trials and tribulations, you're basically facing it by yourself. But kind of sharing that burden, but also the joys of having a business partner, I think is very, very important. Bouncing ideas off each other is one thing, but also just keeping each other in check. And I think that's that's something that's very, very good to have. Hmm. Yeah, so, so interesting. And I just, yeah, I love that. So... I guess I've got, you know, a couple few questions as we, well, final few questions as we start to wrap up. And the first one is, what has been one of your greatest failures to date? My goodness. Um, which one do I pick is the big question. Um, well, I guess I can talk a little bit about Pacamojo. And, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today, like, what have we done so, so, so wrong? And fortunately, knock on wood, we haven't done anything where it has been disastrous, where we had to, you know, shut the company down or, or, or do anything that drastic. I think along the way, we've been very measure twice, cut once about what we, how we do things. So we have a plan and we generally think of all the, the possible disasters that can have come from it. So we haven't had crazy failures to that extent. Um, but there are definitely times where, you know, we'll maybe, I don't know, send a customer the wrong quote. We have mispriced. We may have lost money on orders. We may not have done the proper quality control we should have. And we'll send a bunch of packaging over across the ocean to the U.S. And when it gets there, the quality is just not right. And we'd have to replace it. So I guess a lot of the 
these are, I would say these are small mistakes, but I think we're definitely learning from these. These are growing pains, I would say, of, of any small business. And I think for, for me personally, I always take, I'm always more critical of myself and I feel like it's a lot, a bigger amount of a failure when I, you know, I don't do something for a client. And I think for me, I've always been, I want to be able to help people. I find such value in being able to make an impact on someone's business or life that if I didn't do something for them or I, or they walk away because of X, Y, and Z, I would take that to heart. So I'm very much a customer focused person. I guess we can look at failures in, you know, raising funds. That's a very hard thing to do for somebody who's never, are, Vincent and myself, we don't come from a background where we have raised capital before. We're young-ish entrepreneurs who just have an idea and a mission to do this. And I know that the investment client is very, very tough. You know, getting that amount of capital that you need to grow the business um, proving that you are the right leaders to lead that. And it's, it's been a struggle. I mean, we've have, you know, joined an accelerator program before we're in an incubation program. So these are little steps we are taking, I think, but we haven't necessarily raised that, you know, that X funding round that'll help us help propel us like crazy. So we're doing what we can. We're learning from it. But ultimately, if we just, we, we, we focus a lot of our efforts on growing the business, making sure we're doing everything we can for the clients and trying to build a company that's just, you know, kick ass for people. Love it. I love it. How can we get better at managing our expectations around things when, you know, for example, we don't raise that big fund, you know, seed round, or we haven't yet gotten there with our client base. How can we get better at just, I guess, managing our expectations? Yeah, I guess the, the phrase, what was it called? Expect the worst, but hope for the best. <laughs> that's one way in which you don't, you make sure that you don't disappoint yourself. And, you know, I think having a plan, and this is, I guess this is very cliche, but really having a plan on what it is you're trying to do, thinking right to left, which is what I learned from my previous company. What is the outcome that you're trying to achieve and work backwards to, to figure out the steps that you need to take now so that you can achieve that. And I, th- I think this goes also back to failing and not being afraid to fail. So I think if you have the right strategy, you know the goal that you want to achieve, then just go for it. Just go for it. And, you know, you can expect, yeah, it's going to go out, turn, you, if you, you could expect that you might, you know, it might be a good outcome, but there's always the possibility that it's a bad outcome. So I think it's just having that mental, I guess, that mindset that anything can happen and just being okay with that. I love it. Oh, Wendy, you know, over the last few years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You know, you've received so much recognition for your work. You've become so wise and we so appreciate you for that. And I think, you know, you've recently been listed on the Forbes City on the 30 list. One of the final questions I've got for you is what are the three key pieces of advice, of advice that you give to our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Oh, my goodness where to begin. I always think about this and it's really, I would say it's really hard to dissect it down to a couple of things. Generally, I would, before giving advice, I would actually like to understand who I'm talking to, understanding and and really understand before I go, because I think context is very, very important. The advice I give to somebody who's in X industry with this, you know, why going on could be different to somebody who is already 
doing this. Um, I'm not being very specific, but I'm just saying two different kind of people I would probably give different advice to depending on where they need the advice the most. I think I touched upon this earlier. If somebody is looking to start a business, I would really strongly suggest finding a business partner or somebody there to help you along the way because it, it can be lonely. It can, you can have so much going on in your head. And if so, nobody's there to kind of understand the situation and the problems you're facing, then you're sometimes, you're often left in your own perspective and your own way of thinking. And that may be right. It could be wrong, but having somebody else there to support you through the joys, but also through the, the challenges is something that's, um, I would say very important related to that. A business partner should also be. I would say ideally somebody that complements your skill sets. I think if you have two identical copies of yourself doing the same thing, you're kind of still doing the same thing, but just twice the amount. <laughs> Having somebody who complements your skill sets will help basically fill the gap that you don't that that are missing from you, um, but also brings in different perspectives. And I think it's totally fine that you know personalities are different, working styles may be different. But ultimately, see whether your skill sets complement each other. Of course, you have to enjoy working with them. Um, but also see whether you're together able to solve problems and, and move forward. And I think in terms of starting a business, there's also, it's not just about, all right, I have this idea. I'm going to go do it. I think as I have grown, I've also realized that over the years, my priorities would change. Um, there's always going to be trade-offs. Are you at the time in your life where you're very happily able to commit four years to a business, knowing that it's not going to be easy, knowing that you may have to sacrifice time with loved ones, knowing that there's not going to be this, you know, bank salary expat package that you'd get when you come to Hong Kong. And are you okay with that? Also knowing that your peers, your friends who are, let's say around the same age, they're off doing their own thing. They're making, forging their career let's say they're not in a startup, let's say they're working for a corporate, are you okay with the fact knowing that they're, you know, they're at this salary, they're going to these parties, they're doing this business travel, they're asking you out to come out for drinks, for happy hour. And I guess it's just, just ask yourself, where are you at in your life? Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Are you willing to take the leap? And, you know, are you willing to do that? And if the answer is yes, then go for it. Um, I would also add, go for it, but also have a, an exit strategy for yourself. Of course, everyone talks about exit strategy for, for your business. You want to get, you want to go IPO, you want to sell it. But I think having an exit strategy, but also a reflection point for yourself. Evaluate that every year. You know, look at how the business is doing. Look at how your relationships outside of business are doing with your friends, with your family. And, and yeah, just think about where you're at in your life and see if it's really the right thing for you. So well said and just so valuable. I love it. So look, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Wendy, for the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing for really showing us, and I think particularly us, you know, women that and women of color that we can actually go out there and we can actually achieve something that maybe is a little bit different, maybe isn't directly in line with what we studied. You know, we actually can take that path and we actually can just just make it happen for ourselves. And for that, we we really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? What is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? 
Do you mean what value I derive from that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know whether the viewers will see this, but I've got a, a little tattoo here. And I got this when I was in 2000, uh, in Hong Kong, probably four or five years ago. For me, and I, I touched upon this earlier, I find the most satisfaction and I know that I've been helping a client, for example. So I think, and so back to this tattoo, this little, little heartbeat, a little lifeline. And what this tattoo represents to me is that for every person that I meet, whether in school, whether in work, whether crossing, you know, crossing the street on the road, I want to be able to positively impact someone's life in either a small or a large way. So the lifeline here, these are the small impacts and the larger one is the bigger impact that I want to make. So everything that I do, I want to make sure that I'm at least being able to help somebody. If it's, you know, opening the door and keeping the door open while somebody behind you walks through the door, or if it's really helping a friend through a crisis that they're, that they have at home or at work. But everything that I do is related to making sure that I'm able to positively impact someone's life. And that's really what I'm passionate about. You can replace the career for any career, basically. But if I'm able to really make a positive impact, I think I can be doing doing anything, really. Wendy, ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness, we have had a blast and you are just so incredible. Where can people learn more about and our peers learn more about you and Pack Mojo? Yeah, well, I am found on LinkedIn as you found me there. So if you want to connect with me, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, for Pack Mojo, you can find us at packmojo.com. That's P A C K M O J O.com. Amazing. We will link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Wendy. It's just been so awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>